Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Time now for the NASCAR guy, right? You know, shake and bake, right? Magic man, right? Thunder and light. Yeah. Overreaction Monday! Remind everybody that it's Columbus Day. All those of you that know Italians and like Italians are the people that might venture onto a ship and travel to explore and find new lands. This is your day. And here's Dan. Welcome to the Overreaction Monday podcast. We have a major upgrade this week. <laughs> Welcome Nick Bromberg, one of our colleagues here at Yahoo, writes a lot of college football, NASCAR, lots of pretty much everything. Missouri alum, Kansas City, Missouri resident. Nick, welcome to the show. How are you, buddy? Good, thank you. I'm flattered beyond belief. It's the first time in my life anybody has called me an upgrade. So, Well, <laughs> your abilities, we'll see. But the fact <laughs> you're replacing Pat, not really living up to much. Pat, he'll be back for the midweek podcast. He has the day off. Last seen on social media at the Sierra Nevada Brewery in North Carolina. I have a feeling he's whacked out more than Mike Gundy on Double Ambien right now. <laughs> so we excused him from work for the day. He did manage to go two and four. He <laughs> In his picks. I don't think he's had a winning record in any week of the entire season. He is now 18, 35, and 1. Yes. And mo most importantly, Dan, uh, we want to stress this. Tap, the opposite of yeah. Pat, his altar-picking ego, is still leading the race for the case by, by a hefty amount. Tap is 17 games over 500 in eight Tap weeks. If you bet tap, you're living in like, you know, one of those islands where there's no taxes right now. Just sitting God. on the beach, like sipping something out of like a twisty straw being like, oof, thank God Pat Forty knows nothing about college football. Thank God. We could set up one of those 1-800 lines for people to call for their picks and just say, this is what Pat picked. Pick the opposite. <laughs> yes. You're going to make money every week. It's unbelievable. I was at Ohio State this weekend and bumped into uh, Teddy Greenstein from the Chicago Tribune, longtime college football writer and listener of the podcast. And he said, he looked at me, and goes, you know, you guys are actually really mean when you talk about Pat and his picks. <laughs> I was like, 
<laughs> wait, wait. He was like, it's like genuinely mean. And I was like, yeah, you know, like we, we do that. I was like, just so you know, like we text each other all weekend making fun of Pat. I actually <laughs> abstained this weekend because he was off at his kid's swim meet. So I didn't, I didn't totally want to torture his soul. Pat doesn't get a lot of days off, but I'm sure he drowned his sorrows at the uh, Sierra Nevada brewery out there in the, uh, in the, in the Asheville area. But I took that as a high compliment because there is, <laughs> Pat takes it very personally <laughs> and he does not like it when we rip on him, but we do it persistently. But we're chasing Tap. Still, there's a chance, you know. Tap is out there. He's got a 17 game over five. Unbelievable picks. Unbelievable. I think we're mean about everything. I thought that that's was true. You know, yeah. No, no. That's that's that that's fair. That's fair. He could he could tell Pat was just <laughs> Pat was annoyed. You know, if you get made fun of something week after week after week, it would it would accumulate. It, it would don't add don't up. forget, Pat is the guy who ripped his own daughter's performance at a swim meet. <laughs> We are equal opportunity haters. He hated his own daughter's <laughs> performance at the world championships. We play no single objectivity. Yeah. Yes. And I am a yes. person who you can, I cannot be called a homer for the UMass football program. I, I advocate for its disbandment and I encourage everyone to not donate to the school. So we pretty much hate them all. Are you a homer for your daughters, Dan? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Depends how they're playing. Yeah, you, know, you give Depends how they're playing, give, though. <laughs> Give him a little bit of a break. The the good thing, though, if our listeners now think we're being a little bit mean to our friend Pat, Pat is so technologically backwards that he actually does not know how to download a podcast. <laughs> so really, he has no chance of actually listening to this. Say, so yeah. if Pat Forty hears any of this, it's going to be secondhand from one of our listeners texting him as opposed to actually doing it himself. His 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 stories of uh, technological Ludditeness. I just made up a word. Are uh, are legendary at Yahoo, which by the way is a technology company. Yeah, eh, these things happen. All right. Yeah. Last week the Sooner Schooner crashed. This week the Sooners. Uh, how about that? Huh? I worked on that. <laughs> Try the veal. <laughs> Every man a wildcat. Kansas State forty eight forty one over OU, and for most of the second half, this was an absolute like behind the woodshed beat down. Really, really impressive performance by Kansas State. I'm bitter at Kansas State because I bet on them to win at Oklahoma State. I was a believer, and they did nothing. They lost, and then they've now they've been playing great. So I picked the wrong week to pick the K-State. Great scene in Manhattan. Always good when the little apple's rolling. Throws everything in flux, though. Oklahoma now has one loss. Are they still contenders in the Big 12? Or are they? is the Big 12 in a lot of trouble getting left out? Nick, what do you think? They they still get Baylor, who's undefeated. And obviously, Baylor goes undefeated, you know, and, and maybe they're the best team. Texas doesn't look that good right now. He's lost to TCU. Oof. OU got blown out. I don't know. Threw everything in flux. Opened up some avenues for some other teams. Probably even more than Wisconsin was the upset we didn't see coming. Because I think everyone really thought Oklahoma's a playoff team, where Wisconsin, you thought, still got to get through Ohio State probably a couple of times. So, Nick, what do you think of this uh, this loss, and where are the Sooners right now? This is, what, the third straight week we've had a 20-plus point underdog win straight up? So, you know, I think the Big 12 is in a lot of trouble here. This opens the door wide open, as far as I'm concerned, to getting two SEC teams into the playoff. Whoever loses that Alabama-LSU game, they finish the season with one loss. They get in the playoff now. I think much bigger chance with Oklahoma going down because this is – Man, they made Skylar Thompson look like Tim Tebow out there. Four rushing touchdowns. K-State runs for six. I mean, when 
K-State's rushing offense has been great all season, but the Oklahoma defense just picked the absolute worst time to revert back to what they look like in 2018. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Nick, totally. The, the Big 12 has a five-alarm fire right now, and Oklahoma will only play one ranked team the rest of the season. They go to Baylor on November 16th. They will likely see Baylor again in the Big 12 title game the way it is right now. Baylor is the only undefeated team in the Big 12. You know, Matt Rule obviously has done a uh, miraculous resuscitation of the uh, of the Bears program. I will be very curious where Oklahoma, which now when you when you peel back at their resume, they beat Texas and obviously in Dallas a couple of weeks ago. But that doesn't really resonate as much of a quality win anymore. Who, who would have thought that maybe that win at UCLA now with Chips Bruins awakened, Dan, could be in the neighborhood of the Texas win. Three win Bruins? Three win Bruins that are that are happened to be happened to be right in the thick of the Pac-12 South. Chip Kelly is still showing up at work. I may or may not have got the uh, the text last night from someone at UCLA. You can tell Wetzel, Chip is still showing up at work. <laughs> all right, all right. They're rolling now. Hey, I'm rooting for them. It's tough yeah. love. It's tough love. <laughs> I expected like, more like out Pat of Pat and his daughter? Yes. <laughs> tough love for Chip Kelly. Go back to the Sooners. My, my last point there is going to be just anyone who thought that Chris Kleiman was a bad hire at Kansas State should seriously mentally check. Chris Kleiman won four national titles as a head coach in North Dakota State. He won a bunch more as an assistant coach. The guy knows what he's doing. You can't coach four national title winners through a playoff tournament, by the way, and not be an excellent football coach. He was 43-2 and two after 2011 there. The guy knows what he's doing, and he's going to figure it out there eventually. It, good for him. Look, I think he's, I think that, I don't think they're an overly talented team right now at Kansas State, so I think he's done a good job helping them quickly turn the corner there. So props. The little apple in play, as Dan said, makes college football more fun. So let's game this out as, as because this is why I think Oklahoma's in a lot of trouble, is the one loss, the one loss teams that could be there at the end. All right, so. Yes. You know, you have all right, Notre Dame's gone. I thought they were gone for a while. They're finished. Georgia has a bad loss at South Carolina at home. They're going to play Florida, which has an excellent loss, if you will, at LSU. Or LSU's at least an excellent team. I have an excellent loss. Let me rephrase that. They're going to knock each other out, although they one of those would end up winning the SEC. So I guess they would be in. Mm-hmm. Utah could win the Pac-12. They have They just dominated Cal on Saturday. They have a... A loss to a decent USC team. I don't think they're. It's that bad at USC. Oregon, which won a great game, late field goal to beat Washington State. Uh, they've won seven in a row. They have a loss to Auburn, which is a good team, neutral site. So if it ends up saying, I guess we'll take the SEC out of it right now. If it's Oregon is at the end of the year with one loss, and then you have Oklahoma, then you would also could have let's say Alabama or LSU, particularly LSU, I think has a very good resume. If they lose to Alabama and end up sitting there at 11 and one and their only loss is at Alabama and they have wins over Texas also at Texas, which would be the same thing as Oklahoma has. They have a win over Florida. They would have a win over Auburn. They got a better resume than Oklahoma. I think, I think LSU with a loss at Alabama is still ahead of Oklahoma. Also. And I'm not, you know, no offense, Minnesota and Baylor and some of the others, but the other one I would look at is Penn State. Penn State is unbeaten. Penn State will play at Ohio State. What if that's a close game? Your proverbial Pete's favorite late last second field goal on the road. But let's say they play Ohio State really well. 
a one-loss Penn State team could be a more viable. Tr- and I'm not saying you're going to get to that point, but I think Oklahoma's in a huge trouble because even if they end up, they win out and do everything right, the loser of the Alabama LSU game is still probably ahead of them, certainly if it's LSU. And the loser of the Penn State Ohio State game is probably ahead of them. Anyone see fault with that logic? And and then there's Oregon. All but one team in the SEC has to have two losses for Oklahoma to jump back into this. And also, too, I don't think you ha- you can't discount Utah because Utah beats Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. They're back in it and potentially has a better resume than an Oklahoma team that might ha- be ba- beating Baylor twice or beating Texas twice. Yeah, I think it, th- that was a really good moment for the Pac-12, which, let's face it, has sort of been in uh, – a deep slumber since the uh, opening weekend Oregon face plant blowing that late second half lead to Auburn. I, I think this is a little bit of adrenaline shot for a Pac-12 league that that needs it. So I think if you had to rank it, I think the S- the SEC is the most benef- gets the most benefit from this. I think you put the Pac-12 second, and then I think you, you're right about Penn State, Dan. I think that it, it, it juices them up and play as a one-loss team. Or say Penn State beats Ohio State, right. goes to the t- title game, loses to whoever emerges from the other side, be it Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, et cetera. Then if you're the one loss in the championship with that Marquee Ohio State win, does that, you know, does does that bolster your your argument there? Yeah. I, I, I think Oklahoma's got a I don't know how they get out of this without a lot happening. Now we've just had, as Nick said, three consecutive weeks of <laughs> twenty plus underdogs winning. So a lot can happen, but Panning this out, I think the Big 12 is in a ton of trouble unless Baylor goes unbeaten. Are we at the point now where it's safe to say that the Pac-12 has a better shot of a playoff team than the Big 12? That, yeah, I think that's it. I think Utah and Oregon both would have, if everybody wins out, both would have an advantage over Oklahoma. Baylor's undefeated. Do you, How about that? Like, Could you take, doubt they'll ever leave an undefeated conference t- champion out unless there's five of them and someone has to be left out? But... Because what, what's Baylor done? They play a bad non-conference schedule. You know, the league is is what it is. But, yeah, I think Pac-12 has moved up. Big Big 12 is down. And, again, this is why all these leagues should be fighting to have their automatic bids because uh, losing one game should knock you out of this thing where someone else can, can lose a game and sneak in. By the way, the pure lunacy of this sport that we're sitting here on the cusp of November talking about undefeated Baylor's playoff <laughs> Like... <laughs> If somebody brought that up in August, you would think they'd uh, they'd had too many of Mike Gundy's ambience or something uh, before before taping the pod. Like what a what beautiful lunacy! It's uh, what a sport. Baylor's non conference was SFA. So what's that? Stephen F. Austin. Yep. Okay. Yes. Yep. I like Stephen B. Austin. He's a he's a gospel singer. He's good. UTSA. They got all the letters. So that's Texas Alphabet San Antonio. Soup. Yep. And then Rice. R I C E. They played them. Yes. Yeah, that's Winless their, Rice, by the winless way. Winless Rice. That's their non conference. Not didn't really take a big bite of the apple, which is understandable when you're we're one and eleven two years ago, but that could come back to haunt you. I am gonna go out on a limb and say in this going on the lunacy theme, there could be some lunacy Halloween night in Morgantown, Baylor going to West Virginia. <laughs> Don't be surprised. I'm just saying mm. that sets up a Halloween sets night in Morgantown scared the crap out of me all by itself. <laughs> Are you intimating there could be some heavy drinking involved with that night, Halloween night in Morgantown? Oh, every night. Do you think it'd be a little, little, yeah, that's a good point. Could be a little extra juice in the, uh, it's in a the, scary in the place on a nice day, like a nice Saturday, May afternoon. 
You know there's like clowns living in those woods up on the hill. If you ever heard the Halloween game at App State is like a thing where everybody shows up dressed up and it's like, you know, the the the, the world's <laughs> largest party. Halloween costume party. I did not know that. In yeah. Boone, North Carolina. In Boone, North Carolina. <laughs> keep keep your eye on that. Undefeated App State, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I believe they're hosting a Thursday Halloween game this week. All right. They are. Georgia Southern. Yes. Oh, that's big a game. big one. That's a big one. Not enough moonshine on the shelf. Nope. All right. Other big one this weekend. Well, there's a number of them, but uh, LSU outlasted, if you will. Auburn, which I thought played great on defense, particularly. Battle of top 10 teams. I like this Auburn team. They're pretty good. You know, 23-20 pushes LSU set. We got two bye weeks now. Alabama absolutely humiliated Arkansas, despite having a backup quarterback. We're set for what should be a 1v2, and I'm going to be upset with this committee if they take their job so seriously that when they put out the rankings, they don't just put LSU 1, Auburn, Alabama 2, and then Ohio State 3. If they put Ohio State in there, even though Ohio State might deserve to be ahead of Alabama, just set up the 1-2 for the sake of the sport because your stupid rankings in the middle of November don't matter. So I'm hoping we got the 1-2, but we may end up getting like two, three or something or one, three, just because that committee, but we're set up for it. Your thoughts, Pete, on LSU's victory, Dan ripping the committee for doing its job. I'm warning you <laughs> to not allow it, him. It's the not glory. a real job. It's a stupid job. Don't make up. They shouldn't even have these <laughs> weekly things. It's not a real job. They just go down there, <laughs> eat steaks. What do you, why would you do this job? Let's rank up. Let's rank all 25 teams. Why? waste of time because you like staying in a hotel in dallas i guess hmm. i think these people i don't like staying in hotels remember in when archie <laughs> archie manning was on and then he quit he was like uh yeah this isn't he must not have liked staying in hotels in dallas no i don't think he does so i call it in my takeaways column you know this year's game of the century there's always yeah. a game of the century every year and this is this year's uh this year's version of it and it's interesting in a couple facets obviously the two ankle watch continues our friends at al.com Literally updating us breathlessly on the uh, on the on the Tua ankle watch, and that remains a thing. I, I've had a couple people in a couple different programs explain to me what their players have done who've gone through that specific ankle surgery, and I think there is a pinch of skepticism of like you know if Tua can come back completely. Certainly, he's not going to be completely healthy if he comes back that quick, but you know his effectiveness will certainly be impacted by the uh, by, by the ankle. And then you get LSU, who I didn't watch all that game because I was at Ohio State, was writing and missed miss some of it, but it, it didn't seem like LSU's best night. Now, Auburn has the best defensive line in the SEC and likely in all of college football. So they can certainly gum up a little bit of uh, of, of what you do. And, you know, Bo Nix started to look like a freshman again when, when I tuned in in the, uh, in the second half, just kind of couldn't, couldn't get anything going. My first blush on this game, and I'll do a story next week talking to coaches who played both teams and really dialing in on the X's and the O's. L- last year I did that story, and, like, every coach I talked to said LSU had no chance and they weren't going to score. LSU will score this year. I don't think there's, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think that the, the question is we've gone from that 9-6 game in 11 now to a game that's, that's likely going to be much higher scoring. And I don't think LSU, if Tua is healthy, will be able to stop Alabama. I had a SEC assistant tell me last week that Alabama's receiving core is the best receiving core in the history of college football. Pretty, 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 pretty good. They're like, wow. LSU has good defensive backs. I don't think they have the 
quality depth of defensive backs maybe that they've had in uh, in past years. And their defensive line is well below the average LSU defensive line that we're used to. So my early gut feel is that Bama will win by 10, 14 points in this game. But uh, that said, I'm fired up for it. Last week when I, um, after LSU beat Florida, I went back and looked. The highest scoring LSU Alabama game in history is 2007 when it was 41-34. So 75 total points. I feel like we're on pace to obliterate that this year. Uh, I would think so. I hope so. Yeah, hope so. Certainly hope so. Auburn, they still got Georgia and Alabama. They, they could be like the best eight and four team you, about you ever see. And I wonder if that's going to be enough for Auburn fans. Are they still mad at Gus Malzahn? And if they are, considering the absolute tire fire that is Arkansas, could the Arkansas deal reopen? Could we have a could we have an escape clause and Gus should take it? I think that's pretty real. You I are hope always so. Yeah. You are always a couple game uh losing streak at Auburn away. They still now those the Georgia games at home, it's not as intimidating as it looked in August. Alabama games at home, you know, Gus has Gus has had some success against Nick, both as a head coach and a coordinator. But I still think Auburn loses both those games and then you're sitting back there at eight and four. Now, man, do they have to work to get to that eight? But I, uh, I wonder if there'll be some soul searching at Auburn because they essentially wanted them gone last year, and they just could, couldn't pull off. So they they pushed that pesky president out of the way. Now the forces that be at Auburn may may have another another chance at a clean shot. I've half convinced myself though that Auburn's the third best team in the SEC. I could try to make a case for Auburn being better than than Georgia or Florida at this point, and Auburn I think especially has it if they beat Georgia. So you know, if they're a victim of schedule. Texas A&M and Auburn both had crazy schedules this year. A&M, I don't think, is living up to that hype. But Auburn's going to be that team. We're going to look back at 8-4 and four and say, this might have been a top-10 team, but they had four losses because they played four top-10 teams. That's the hard part of living in that West and then trying to do trying to be a little bit aggressive out of conference. Uh, all right, Michigan crushed Notre Dame Saturday night, 45-14. Uh, I think the game was played inside a washing machine. <laughs> It was a great win for the Wolverines. They look like a new team since this Penn State halftime. I don't know what the heck to make of that, but they certainly look better. I don't know why. They were they were down 21 zip to Penn State since then. Pretty good. Done pretty well. Rest of the schedule is at Maryland, Michigan State at home, and a trip to Indiana, who are six and two and pretty good. But that said, Harbaugh could have his team at nine and two. When Ohio State shows up, whole different narrative change for a Michigan program that that looked dead at halftime of the Penn State game. I kind of want to talk more about Notre Dame, which completely quit in this game. Maybe the most impressive thing for Michigan and the most disheartening thing for Notre Dame was Michigan's offensive line, which had not been good. Absolutely pushed Notre Dame around and they were tougher, meaner, gnarlier. They they wanted this in a game where it was a, it was a kind of a guts game because it was so miserable out. Ian Book was awful. Notre Dame was terrible. I don't know if it surprised me, but what caught my attention was the number of people, at least, uh, and I'm sure it's worse in living rooms and bar rooms and stuff, but on social media that were calling saying, Notre Dame should move on from Brian Kelly on this loss. Boy, if you want to move on from Brian Kelly, I'm just going to say this. Notre Dame wants to move on from Brian Kelly. They should call Michigan and Tennessee and ask how that's working. Because... (laughs) He is by far the best coach you've got. I, I, unless Urban Meyer says he really wants to coach there and Notre Dame is willing to hand full, full power to Urban Meyer to run his program the way he wants to run the program, not the way the university does. They, they got, remember when they got crushed at Miami a couple of years ago? 
Yeah. It was a humiliation. Same thing. Got pushed around. It was ugly. The next year, they're undefeated in the playoff. Like, you cannot do better than Brian Kelly. Ian Book was awful, but he's been good. They've got two good quarterbacks in the system. One in Jerkovic looked terrible last night, but he's a highly touted, you know, young quarterback in the system. They got another one, Drew Payne, coming. He's he's in their uh, recruiting class now, highly touted. Like, he gets quarterbacks. Oh, Pete, how could, is this just like outrageous fan? Like, oh, we lost the Notre, that's it. We got to fire Brian Kelly. Like if if back in the glory days when Notre Dame would win national titles and when they used to like the poll voters used to vote before the bowl game and give a title, they would have won a title or two under Brian Kelly. Like if it's still 1973, they didn't have to do a playoff or a BCS title game against Alabama. They would have won a title. But they didn't have, now they have to. So it's harder. I just, this stuff, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. You really think you're going to do better than Brian Kelly? How quickly we forget. Brian Kelly is still, I would believe, on his way to a 10-win season, right? Now, it may not be 11-1 and or 12-1 and or whatever, but I think Notre Dame will win 10 games this year. Um, so this would be Brian Kelly's third consecutive 10-win season and fourth in five years, all right? Let's go back before Brian Kelly. <laughs> I count one 10-win season, two 10-win seasons, over three coaching tenures that spanned, ooh, that would be the Charlie Weiss, Ty Willingham, Bob Davey run. Notre Dame is a very hard job. There are real academic standards there. You have to You have to get kids who can fit on a campus where it's not organic maybe for some football kids to go. And... Brian Kelly has really evolved and adapted and I think become the ideal coach for, for Notre Dame. They were awful last night. They were just putrid. It was a total, total face plan. Looking back on this game and, and, and digging in on it a little bit on, on Thursday and Friday, I thought Notre Dame would struggle because in order to beat Don Brown's teams, you need to have explosive players on the outside. Notre Dame has very little explosive skill at the receiver position right now. Like Chase Claypool is like a defensive tackle masquerading as a wide receiver. He is not KJ Hamler, who was able to beat Michigan's defense over the top. They don't have the type of elite elite skill that burnt Michigan on crossing routes in the Ohio State game last year. I mean, if you think about that, 62 Ohio State hung on Don Brown last year. It was just receivers crossing in and out and, and you know, getting getting a step or two on defensive backs and just running for daylight the whole afternoon. Notre Dame doesn't have that kind of skill, and that's why. And you cannot dink and dunk Don Brown on a sunny day. You are definitely not dinking and dunking Don Brown on a night uh, like with with Noah's Ark type rain coming down in uh, in Ann Arbor. So I do think it was a perfect storm. No pun intended. I it, look, it was a bad night and they have issues there. But I don't think you can in the wake of a 12 and one season that featured a playoff bid. I don't think you can you can call it an indictment on on Brian Kelly's tenure as a coach. I think that's uh, I think that's a little bit foolish. And, and let me say this. Who, who you know, you can go hire Matt Campbell. But I don't know, you know, like that's that's you're rolling some dice now there. That's that's a risk because it took Brian Kelly a good five or six years to figure out Notre Dame. Even after they uh, they made that title game, the the Manti Teo year in 12, Brian Kelly didn't really have Notre Dame figured out. He didn't really figure it out until he did the reboot after that four and eight season. And 
I think he's in a pretty good place. And I think he's going to be there for a, a, a few more years. And he could end up as the all-time winningest coach in school history. Now, I don't know if he'll ever win a national title there, but he's done a really good job. To anyone who wants to fire Brian Kelly, I guess I have to ask, like, what did you expect from Notre Dame this year? Like, they looked like a 10-2 team entering the season. We all, A lot of people thought Michigan was going to be a top 5, top 10 team. Granted, they hadn't shown that until Saturday. But And also on the Michigan side, was this offensive shift we saw Saturday night something we're going to see going forward, or was it simply a product of the rain? They ran the ball 57 times, threw it 14 times, basically got back to uh, Harbaugh ball. So is this the Michigan we're going to see going forward, or was that simply, hey, we have to run it now and abandon our, our newfangled offense that wasn't working because it was pouring down rain the entire game? It's a good point. I hope so. Because this was when they were getting mauled by Army, it was distressing. Yes. They do the mauling. They're Michigan. Like, you don't, there's certain programs that you don't have to go gimmick in any way. Now, you can play a little more up tempo, but you're the, Michigan is the place that can get 300 pound linemen that can move. Like, they can get number one, they can have linemen that are number one draft picks and things like that. Use it. You know, that's, that's the thing. I was also looking too. It looks like right before the close of the betting, before the game, Michigan flipped back to the favorites. So Harbaugh's winless streak as an underdog is still intact. Ah, no. <laughs> I blew that. I I, I picked uh, Notre Dame when they were getting all those points, too. and and this was an it was I, I saw it. It's it's like when Vegas throws those NFL ones out there, and you go what? And then and it's like they're it's like a sucker. They're like we know. We know Michigan's better than Notre Dame. You guys are fools. You're all going to bet this thing, and we're going to make our money. And that's exactly what happened in that one, boy. That one. The other Big Ten news was Ohio State, second half particularly, dominating Wisconsin. Very impressive performance. Again, Buckeyes look great. Pete, you were there. Question, we don't need to talk about how good Ohio State is again, but can Chase Young win the Heisman, and should Chase Young win the Heisman? Unbelievable defensive lineman for the Buckeyes. This is my 16th year covering national college football. I had never seen in person as singularly dominant a defensive performance as Chase Young put on on Saturday afternoon. A couple things stood out. It's sort of like flipped the paradigm of how you watch football. You weren't watching Jonathan Taylor pre-snap for Wisconsin to seeing like where he's going to line up or where he might go. You were following Chase Young because they probably split his snaps between left and right end. I was charting him for a while in the, in the first half. And then there were a handful of snaps where they moved him standing up along the, like almost like a middle linebacker. And they were basically trying to give him a one-on-one matchup to, you know, who they thought was the, the, the weak point on the Wisconsin offensive line to block him. They really like Chase Young on an offensive guard, right? Like they really feel like, you know, he can really blow a guard off. I just thought it was like almost like a different way to watch football. Uh, do you remember, Dan, when like Pedro Martinez started pitching in Boston and became like this dominant sensation? And they said people weren't going to the bathroom or going to get a beer, you know, when the Red Sox were pitching. You know, usually you, you stick around and watch your favorite team's offense, right? Well, Pedro Martinez kind of like flipped the paradigm of how you watched the, the Red Sox, I felt like Chase Young on Saturday was so dominant, it just changed the way you watch football, which is one of the higher compliments you can you can pay a guy. You were excited. Like, there was a, a series late in the second quarter where he sat out the first six snaps, and I'm sitting there on the sideline waiting for him to go back in. Wisconsin got a couple first downs. You could tell he was, like, a little bit anxious and chatting with Larry Johnson a little bit about why he was in. And, look, their coaches are just doing their job. They're trying to limit this guy's snaps. It's a long it's a long season, and it was obviously, like, a, a, a really, uh, a really like, 
crappy day and they were just trying to get him, get him some rest. But I can't remember just breathlessly tracking a, a defensive player like that. For for those our listeners who didn't see any of it, he had four sacks. Two of those were strip sacks, which caused fumbles, which Ohio State recovered. He had five tackles for loss, six tackles overall, and it was it was just utter dominance. And there were there were two plays that stood out early on. They basically left him unblocked and tried to throw a screen in the middle in the space where he had occupied. And he not only hurried the quarterback into it, but then he turned around and grabbed the receiver and tackled him who was going to who who was supposed to be in the space that he left. And then they tried it again with a, a tight end screen. Only Wisconsin's running a tight end screen, right? And it was just like an utter disaster. Yeah, he's a one-man game plan wrecker. And if I had to vote for the Heisman today, he would be the top on, on my ballot. So, but there's a bigger question here. Can a defensive player cross that paradigm? There's been one defensive player to win the Heisman, Charles Woodson in 97 for Michigan. He also moonlighted as an offensive player and did a lot of his damage returning kicks. So there have been no exclusive defensive players who have ever won the Heisman Trophy. Do you think it can happen, Nick? No, I don't. But it's the ultimate uh, compliment that Wisconsin basically said, we can't block you. You're so unblockable. We're going to try not to block you and see what can happen. And clearly it didn't. But while Chase Young may be the best defensive player in football, and I agree that I think he's going to be a guy who goes probably number one, number two in the NFL draft, depending on who falls in love with the quarterback up top there. It just, we're so quarterback focused, quarterback biased in this country when it comes to the Heisman conversation that it feels like it's Joe Burrow and Tua right now, one, two, and then maybe Chase Young is third because Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts lost. And depending on how everything else plays out, maybe he sneaks up into the conversation and gets top five votes. But in terms of getting invited to New York, he's going to have to challenge that Terrell Suggs season sack record, I think, to even get a sniff. Ohio State's rolling. Other Big Ten teams are not. A little Big Ten heavy here, but I, I want to break down. We're too much positivity, so I want to talk about... Mm. Um, <laughs> it's a good point. We miss Pat. Pat's really negative. Yeah. He really brings it down, yeah. usually. I'm sorry about that, guys. Your Midwestern earnestness, Nick, is uh, changing the paradigm yeah, of the podcast. a little too positive. Oh. Uh, who stole the most money this week? So let's play that game. And guess what? Mark D'Antonio isn't even one of the candidates in the Big Ten itself. Wow. How many bonuses did Edsel get Saturday, by that. the way? This I have that <laughs> item. We're going to get to that next. That's making money. Nebraska Scott Frost. If you're like, a, let's say you're your average American, let's say you get paid by the week. Most people get paid every other week. But weekly, Scott Frost makes $96,153.85. Not, not bad if you can get it. They lost to Indiana. They're now 4-4, four and 2-3. Four, in conference, lost at home. We got a dog barking. As I say, you have upset the dogs, Dan. The, the dogs were even upset about our positivity here. Who let the dogs the, out? The, the neighbor's dogs are going crazy now. You got like Michael Vick over there? What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> let me look out the window. They are angry at something. They never did answer who let the dogs out. The thing about that stupid song, we still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're asking it to this day. If, if that's in my head the rest of the day, Dan, I'm going to come to the podcast so angry in the midweek. If I'm like sitting on my flight home, you're going to sing us the steel drums. The worst. All right. Well, I guess a Nebraska fan has a dog next to next to Nick's house. Yeah, they are Nebraska fans. Actually. All, right. Well, all right. Don't tell them. <laughs> well, Scott Frost made 96 K and he lost to Indiana. They're four and four and two and three. Not to be outdone in our other finalists. Jeff Brom, he gets paid $126,923.77 a week. They got smoked by Illinois. Uh, they, 
the six point six million dollar man is two and six, one and four. Nick, who who stole the most money this week? Braum or Frost? I've got to go with Scott Frost. This is a Nebraska team that was supposed to be good and challenged for the Big Ten West. I don't think any of us thought Purdue was going to be any good, even though Jeff Brom is now a top 10 paid coach in college football. Scott Frost, I'm sorry. This Nebraska season is an absolute disaster on more than one front. So Nebraska, sorry. Oh, I'll take Brom. You've got to be better. And, you know, one thing I've always respected about Brom, and and I do think he is an elite offensive mind, like especially going back to his time at Western Kentucky and the the production they had there is Brom's always had a way to figure it out, right? He hasn't had high-end talent at Purdue. They've kind of figured out a way to go 500, to get to a bowl. He's just done enough to figure it out. And this season, they've had some injuries at the quarterback position, this is now, I believe, his third season there. So you're, the recruiting sins of your predecessors are really starting to show up because you're vacant in the upper classes. Rondell Moore hasn't been uh, hasn't been available, which is obviously a, a huge a huge hit for them. But like, you've got to find a way to figure it out, and Jeff Brown hasn't done that. It, and also, too, this is an Illinois team that won twenty four to six with Brandon Peters going three of six for twenty six yards. <laughs> so you know, and also we are living in a world where not only is Minnesota undefeated Nate no Illinois is looking like a bowl team they have Rutgers and Northwestern still on the schedule there are I it's scary saying it there are potentially six wins on the table for the Illini and Lovey Smith's glorious beard yeah it's not bad Illinois is doing all right all right let's get to the the bonus my alma mater UMass did something good they got Randy Etzel and the Yukon Huskies twenty six thousand dollars in bonuses this weekend Randy Etzel made wow they defeated UMass 56 35 he gets 10K every time the UConn wins. So there's 10 of it. And then the team reached eight single game benchmarks, uh, according wow. to By Berkowitz, who's on uh, USA Today editor. Each one's worth two grand. Things like scored first, two grand. Lead at the half, two grand. Total offense, two grand. Rack them up. So Randy Etzel got 26K in bonuses because UConn beat the, the hapless UMass Minutemen who. Apparently, have a victory. I don't know who they beat, though. Don't really. They beat Akron, Dan. Akron. Oh, yeah. Akron's got nothing. Yeah. You and your college over. buddies weren't on like a group text, like celebrating that? Uh, no. I mean, I missed that one. So there you go. 26. Not bad, huh? How about scoring yeah. first? Put one in. You're like, bang, two G's in my pocket. Party in stores tonight. <laughs> it's, motiv- it's motivation not to punt it on fourth and short in the first drive of the game. Say, hey, I need that two grand. We're- we got to score here. Absolutely. Also, it's a motivation to take the ball when you hit the coin flip. Yeah, take the coin. Get the coin. Yeah, you should. Yeah, we need to go back and look at, at UConn's record with the coin toss here. How often are they taking the ball first? Also, you'd want to. You actually want to try the field goal. I think you'd want to just score. It just says score. So you know, yeah, instead yeah. of maybe it's fourth and one, you should you should run it. You're like, hey, I got two grand on this. All I got to do is boot. You're always taking the points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. baffling you, contract. Yeah, most people would call this administrative negligence and just, you know, sheer stupidity giving him a contract with all these bonuses. I actually think it's been utter genius because, quite frankly, it has given us so much joy every Mm. week on our podcast to go through that I cannot thank the incompetent UConn administrators enough who agreed to this deal. They really should be lauded and praised to the highest level. I mean, what a what a gift to the podcast gods. Th- that is a fantastic point. Randy Edsel has been paid. He's lower paid. I mean, it's probably smarter to do this than just give Jeff Brom $6.6 6 <laughs> or or Chad Morris $4 million. 
you know, like he's better off get yeah, two grand here. We'll just we'll give him that little money and then we can fire him easy. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? The Heisman gets awarded the end of the year, but we don't like to wait. So we give one out every week. Who is your small sample Heisman winner? Pete, I hope you're prepared. Go get him. I am prepared. I'm going to go super lame and, and go with Chase Young. Uh, and and I, I don't really have to reiterate much of my soliloquy that I'd issued earlier on him. He was just a, uh, a a delight to watch. And if you don't believe me, you believe LeBron James, who tweeted about Chase Young. You can believe J.J. Watt, a pretty fair defensive lineman, who, uh, who, who tweeted about him. And uh, Nick Bosa told me last week for a profile I did on Chase that uh, – his get-off reminded him of Khalil Mack and Von Miller. It's a pretty fair pass. I think uh, LeBron's just probably trying to rep him, though, isn't he? Not like LeBron's yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just, LeBron does like the Buckeyes. Like, he, he does you know, like the Buckeyes, too. Yeah. Good Ohio kid. All right, Nick, who won, the ha- who won the Heisman this week? I'm going with Oregon running back C.J. Verdell. 23 rushes, 257 rushing yards, three cool. rushing touchdowns. He was the guy who basically won the game for them. Also, I have to call out Mario Cristobal, leading by six, punting from Washington State 33 <laughs> on a fourth and six. Washington State then goes down, scores a touchdown, takes the one-point lead. Oregon has to kick the game-winning field goal with no time left. This Had that field goal not gone in, we are spending a lot of this podcast talking about, once again, how bad Mario Cristobal can be at game management in a football game. Interesting. Didn't he get a 15-yard sideline penalty earlier in that game, too? I'll tell you, I'm going to admit I fell asleep. That end of the second quarter, refing debacle. Oh, yeah. I went to bed, too. There was like, it, and they said on the uh, broadcast, four minutes of game time took 30 minutes. It was just endless replays, confusion. Like, I'm trying, but, yeah, I was like, it's kind of fun game, but and this thing's never going to end. So I wish I had seen that. All right. Yeah, it's unusual for the Pac-12 refs. Usually they're pretty on point. Yeah, they, they usually got it all together, you know. <laughs> All right, I'm taking uh, Max Duggan, freshman QB for Texas Christian. Horn Frogs, 37, Longhorns, 27. Anytime TCU gets to beat Texas, always a good day for them. Max finished 19 of 27, 273 yards and two touchdowns. He also rushed for 72 and a TD, but it was the second half performance. Texas led 2013. Max led 17 consecutive points number of like wild gutty passes. He was a big time recruit out of Council Bluffs, Iowa, the Gary Patterson one. They don't not normally stray out of Texas. So that was a pretty good one. Got a good one here. So that's a good victory. All right. We said a lot of mean things, actually not as many as normal. Maybe we should say, make this say something mean, but instead we're going to keep it, keep the, uh, the kumbaya feelings. Nick, can you say something nice on this podcast? I can. I am going to be very nice to Miami rebounding back from the loss to Georgia Tech by beating Pitt 16 to 12. The reason I'm being nice to Miami, every team in the ACC Coastal now has at least two conference losses. I am rooting for like five teams to finish four and four so we can have a disaster (laughs) atop the ACC Coastal. Make it happen. Come on, guys. You can do this. Pete? Well, Dan, you're going to find this hard to believe but I'm going to say something nice about Jeremy Pruitt. Oh, Coach Asparagus got it done. (laughs) 41-21, thumped Will Muschamp. Somewhere Sully is fist pumping and smiling in the background. Our producer 
who is on Twitter at Sully Vol, which shows you where his allegiances and his education lie. Believe it or not, Coach Asparagus could potentially eke his way to a bowl. Yes. They close with UAB, no picnic, at Kentucky, at Missouri, and Vanderbilt. They need to win, they need to win three or four, but they were good against Mississippi State. They were two plays away from being in a one-score game against Alabama, as our careful podcast listeners will remember. And then they just whooped up on South Carolina. Uh, props to JT Shrout, the uh, quarterback from Southern California who came in and had himself a day. Props to Coach Pruitt. Listeners of this podcast would know there was a little bit of Coach Pruitt skepticism, and then some of that remains. But, you know, just like Harbaugh, you got to tip the cap to people who have reversed course midseason and uh, salvaged things. Tennessee looks a lot better than they did. No question. And we all want Coach Pruitt around. We don't want yes. Coach. Uh, maybe not Sully, but the uh, uh, <laughs> non-volunteer fans who re, who rely on making wise-ass comments about yes. people who have been college football. We need Coach Pruitt. We want Coach Pruitt on that wall. If he had Randy Elso's contract, our podcast would be up there with like the New York Times Daily is the most listened to in the world. It really would. It really would. All right. I'm going to say something nice about Mike Gundy, coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Now, last week, after Coach Gundy, for the second time this season, revealed that he takes two Ambien every night because there's a lot running around in his head. <laughs> Double dose of Ambien Gundy. We questioned the wisdom of that. We had some concerns over uh, that. We worried about you, Coach. We were m- mostly worried because he, had, he claimed last week after a loss to Baylor, he took two Ambien's and still couldn't sleep. And left for the office at 3.18 in the morning, which is not recommended to drive while taking Ambien. But, yeah, okay. So maybe we get a, a student manager to wait outside the Gundy home, drive him to and from at whatever hour of the night. But let me say this. Two Ambien's and he designed a game plan against Iowa State. And guess what? It worked. The Cowboys with a 34-27 victory on the road. Two Ambien's. This could be the new secret. So, Coach Gundy, stay away from the driving, but ambient it up. And when Bedlam comes, triple dose. That's what I see. Got to go triple dose there. So, good job for the mullet from Stillwater. All right, that's our podcast. No Pat, Nick Bromberg, excellent work. It's going to be our uh, our fill-in guy when some of us have to miss as the season goes on. It happens. Pat should be sobered up and ready to go for the Wednesday podcast. Subscribe, share it on social media. We'll keep going on as the season keeps cranking up. Thank you. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.